I invite you to join me in On Fire with Linda Fields. It's a movement designed to calibrate, validate, and activate men and women like you who love God, putting your God-inspired passions and plans into action to carry out your callings in all seven spheres of influence. That's business and economy, government, education, family, arts, media, and church. On Fire with Linda Fills exists to help you complete your God-given assignments with a community of kingdom connections. Whether it's increasing your current sphere of influence or changing paths to walk into your purpose, if you want to set the world ablaze through Christ's power, join the movement at www.onfire.global. Now I want to introduce Ken Harrison, the CEO of Promise Keepers. Ken is passionate about leading men, about providing executive strategic leadership for promise keepers, and encouraging men to live lives that are bold, humble, and ambitious in their faith. Ken is also the CEO of Waterstone, which is a Christian community foundation, and Ken is the author of an incredible book called The Rise of Servant Kings, What the Bible Says About Being a Man. Welcome, Ken Harrison. Welcome with me, Ken Harrison, to the podcast interview. How are you, Ken? Good, Linda. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it so much. This is actually, I'll tell our audience, our first time to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And I love that about this kind of work God has us doing right now, where believers are reaching out to each other, linking arms, finding out about each other's stories, and seeing what God's doing. I think that's a, a real critical thing God's doing in the earth right now. Have you experienced that in your conversations over the last, uh, in an increasing way, over recent conversations? Yeah, I mean, we can either choose to use technology for God's glory or for Satan's glory, right? And uh, we're choosing to use it for God's glory. That's right. That's right. Last time I talked to you, which was on Zoom, I think you were up on a mountain writing a book. Is that right? That's right. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about how that's going. Well, it was going well until I got covid Oh, man. Yeah, I took the month of August off to write a book, and the second half of August was dedicated to being miserable. Um, you don't want to get COVID. It's a bummer. But uh, Let's not do that, It's right? a great weight loss program. <laughs> I lost 15 pounds. Okay. But, uh, so, but the book's coming along well, despite the little interruption. Right, right. You know, I, lo- I love that about believers in the marketplace, how they keep going. You know, life hands you a, a, a big challenge, a big difficulty, and... In crisis, there's always opportunity on the other side of that or on the way through it, and there's something God does in that moment. Have you found that to be true over your life? You know, it's funny. Um, I was laying there with COVID, yes. miserable, yes. whining at the Lord like most men when they're sick. You know, I whine at my wife and the Lord, and, uh, <laughs> um, and, which, and I was sequestered, so she couldn't come see me at all. She couldn't come into the room, so for two weeks, I didn't, I didn't even see her. She would come in with my food and, and, and go out. But I was wanting at the Lord about why, why do I have to be sick? And um, then I did all this research and came up with the fact that once you have COVID, you're pretty much immune to it. And I thought, oh, I spent all this time with really elderly pastors, people, okay. and now I get to have the freedom to go be with them and not worry about taking the virus to them. Right. So two weeks of suffering worth the security for them and me of knowing that I can't pass them COVID? Yeah, I think so. You know, that mindset, I'm sure, has taken you through a lot of twists and turns in your life. I know you've had a history that includes some police work, some real estate, and a few other things. And then more recently, the revitalization of Promise Keepers. Can you tell Mm. us a little about that journey? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I was on the LAPD in South Central, Watts, Compton 
area, uh, all the Rodney King era. Um, so I faced death a lot of times, and what really changed my life was I left the LAPD, and I was in a jet ski accident, and so I was uh, hit by a drunk guy on a jet ski um, and rushed to the hospital, and long story short, the doctor comes in and says, look, man, uh, he had no bedside matter at all. He's like, um, you've ruptured your liver and a bunch wow. of other stuff. And so he said, we're going to do a CAT scan, and if you've ruptured less than 40%, we're going to cut it out. We're going to life flight you. They're going to cut it out, and then it'll grow back, and you'll live. If it's more than 40%, you've got five hours to live. And he walked out. So I got the CAT scan and laid there for an hour. And let me tell you, you know, I faced death so many times, gunfire, all that adrenaline craziness, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but laying there on a gurney for an hour as a 28-year-old man, a mm -hmm. whole different deal. What went through your head in that time? One thing, which was in a few hours, I might be standing before Christ, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And the, and the thing was, nothing in my theology had trained me to think that way. Mm -hmm. Like, I had been raised strict Calvinist. Mm -hmm. I'd always read the Bible. I was immersed in the Bible. And what I didn't realize, the Holy Spirit had been teaching me that entire time. Because when the moment of truth came, you might be dead in, in a few hours. I knew... I was going to be facing Christ, and he was going to say, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, is not of yourselves, right? Mm -hmm. It's a gift of God that no one should boast. Mm -hmm. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm -hmm. So each one of us has good works that God laid out the foundation of time for you to accomplish, for me to accomplish. Right. I was about to face Christ, or I thought so, and he was going to say, what did you accomplish? And I would say, well, not much. I was a policeman, and I was a nice guy, and I never cheated on my wife, and I don't cuss very often. Um, and this is what we have to get out to the church. This is a fight that we're in. Yes. We're going to be judged by what we did with what Christ gave us, and that's going to determine our eternity, where we are in eternity, whether we're co-heirs with Christ, whether we're co-reigners with Christ, or whether he looks at us and says, you wicked, lazy servant. You did nothing with what I gave you. Which one do we want to be? I was about to be the wicked, lazy servant. Thank God the doctor came in to me a little while later and said, oh, good news, buddy, you're, you're going to live. Sure. <laughs> so, so how did that change how you lived life from that point? From that point on, I was like, I will never, never not be sure that when I walk into the, con the, the throne room of Christ, I walk in with my head held high mm -hmm. and I'll say, Lord, I was about your business my whole life. I love that. I love living that way. I want to live that way in increasing measure all of my days. And I love that the Lord gave you, as scary as it was, that time to recalibrate. But those times set us and help us set our perspective uh, moving forward for sure. Well, when did you, if I could ask him, have some definite sense of calling with that dramatic background? Uh, what do you have to say about calling over your life? What does it look like or feel like or sound like? You know, the Lord's favorite word is wait, uh, which is, it's my, I don't like I that, hate word. that word. <laughs> yeah, I'm impatient, man. I want, I'm an American, right? Let's have it now. Let's do now. it. Let's do I want it now. now. Fast food. I want meal, my meal right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into business and did very, very well and sold a company. Okay. And in 2012, I retired because I was 45 and that's what you do in America when you're successful, right? Okay. You retire. Yeah. And, um, or refire is an option, but. Refire, yeah. yes, that, that's a better option, I think. I like it. That's the one the Lord had for me. And so I spent a couple of years skiing and hiking. I live in Colorado. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I was on my knees praying one day. And you know, you, you know when you have those mountaintop moments with the Lord, you wish you never had to come down from the mountain where you're really just abiding in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and he came to me all of a sudden, and the Lord does not come to me you know, that often I'm not someone that's always saying the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. But in this case, um, I heard the Lord clearly say, Ken, I did not put you through all I did and teach you all I did so you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. And now I was about the Lord's business. I was teaching Bible studies. I was doing all that stuff. But I was aiming way lower than what he had. Hmm. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Wow. Repeat that again. That's that's Are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Meaning, you've done nice stuff since you were hit by the jet ski, Mm -hmm. but you haven't been sold out. Are you willing to give everything? And I said, I don't know. I said, I mean, you're talking to God. You might as well be honest. (laughs) And uh, I said, Lord, and and, and, I'm sorry, and it came with a warning of be careful of your answer. It's going to cost you your life. Whoa. And I just said, Lord, I'm so sick and tired of people. You know, I run a massive international company. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm so sick and tired of firing people, of being stabbed in the back, criticized, um, mm-hmm. let down, mm-hmm. and uh, sued. And uh, so he said, that's okay, but you missed my full blessing. And so I wrestled with him for two hours on my knees. Like, I don't want to give up my comfort. I don't want to give up everything. Mm -hmm. Finally, after two hours, I said, Lord, you know my answer when you came to me. I'll give up everything, whatever you have. And he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. So the final insult is, (laughs) you're not even good enough to accomplish anything yet. So just (laughs) hang out, more waiting. The Lord's so good at level setting this, isn't he? (laughs) You know, and it's funny, you know, going back to, you know, the COVID thing, the, the jet ski thing, he has a way of teaching us through suffering. Yes, he does. Yes, yeah. he does. Even, even, even Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience to his Father through pain. Really, Jesus needed to learn suffering? Mm-hmm. I mean, needed to learn obedience. Even Jesus, growing in his humanness, mm-hmm. learned to, to obey his Father through pain. Mm-hmm. What, what would we expect right. anything else? It's something that happens in the human heart and in the spirit when everything you thought was it either disappears or fades into the background or disappoints. And you find yourself, as you did, uh, being the audience of one before the Lord, uh, where he's talking only to you in, in that moment and inviting you to take that next step. So that was a serious question in a mountaintop moment in a long two hours, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But you said yes. So he, he said you're not ready. What did that mean? What, what happened next? Um, there was too much pride still. I mean, that's the... That's the eternal battle every human being has to go through is humbled, 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 humbled. God can't use proud people. And to the extent of our humility is the extent to which he can use us. And, man, we have enough prideful men, I think, out there in pulpits and everywhere else. We didn't need another one. And so Mm -hmm. the Lord had some humbling for me to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to teach Bible studies all over Denver. I started having men come to me everywhere, uh, wealthy men, all kinds of crazy leaders right. saying, <clears throat> you know, we've seen your sons, we've seen your daughter, your what, your, your, your uh, marriage. Teach us how to be a man. Teach mm-hmm. us how to have that. Wow. And I started to realize I can't teach him how to be a man until I teach him how to be a disciple. If you, mm-hmm. if you think your life is about you, then you ain't going to be a good husband. 
until you lose yourself in kingdom purpose, you're never going to be um, a real man because a real man is willing to lay down his life at any moment for his family, for his, for his Lord. So I started teaching all those Bible studies, and uh, one day a guy came walking into one of the studies and said, I'm the president of Promise Keepers. And I said, Promise Keepers? That's still a thing? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah. And um, he tried to get me to come on the board. I was like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want any part of a dead organization. And uh, let's quote. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. I mean, Tell us how you really felt. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it was a discipleship group. Oh, right? well. It was like death to self. <laughs> All right. So finally he came to me and said, look, they haven't paid me in a year, and I need, I need to get paid. I need your help. Would you come to a board meeting yeah. and get me paid? Whoa. So I went to, to a board meeting, and um, I saw the state of things, and I, I kind of lost it on the board and told them they'd been um, not judicially responsible. And by the time I got done, they nominated me chairman of the board. Um, <laughs> and I took it over to close it, to right. close Promise Keepers. Um, right. So I run a big foundation called Waterstone. Yes. It's a Dallas foundation, actually, that's located in Colorado Springs, the headquarters. Okay. And... Um, I brought it into Waterstone, and I had our attorneys and our CPAs go up and look at the books, uh, paid off every debt that Promise Keepers had. Mm-hmm. Waterstone was so gracious about everything. Mm-hmm. And we, we did all that to close the doors and um, had attorneys looking at it. And the very morning that we were to close the doors, um, two hours before that board meeting, I, I threw most of the guys off the board, but it kept enough for, to keep a minimal board. Two hours before that board meeting was when the Lord got through to me in another supernatural way and said, remember that conversation we had in your closet all those years ago? This was it. And I said, no, 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 Lord. I don't, I don't want to bring my promise keepers this. Uh, I don't want to do men's ministry. I don't want any of that. And he was not interested in my opinion, as usual. So that's what started the journey in 2000. Um, I guess it would have been January of 18, mm-hmm. I think. Um, started the journey of bringing back Promise Keepers. Right. So how did the uh, transition occur from that realization to what happened next? Well, he had given me a vision of relaunching an AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, where they had to cut a hole in the roof so that God could watch his favorite football team, I'm told. (laughs) Yes. I mean, in my opinion, God's favorite football team is the Oregon Ducks, but hey. All matter of perspective. <laughs> um, so um, it, it was a tremendous amount of work. And it was a lot of uh, gracious people calling me from all over, knowing that Promise Keepers was being relaunched. Um, leaders, Christian leaders from everywhere calling, some with really good intentions. How can I help godly men and women? Some with not so good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, can I... I want to be on your stage. I want to see if, if you're going to be successful, and I'll ride your coattails. Uh, me learn, having to learn this Christian culture, which is screwed up. Um, there's a lot of people who are high up in the Christian culture who don't love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, they love themselves, and they see the church as a vehicle to promote themselves and to make money and have fame. And I'm learning to – one of the things that's every bit as enticing and evil – as the love of money in the church is the love of fame. There's a lot oh, of yeah. people who yeah. just want to be on the stage. Right. So I've had to be very careful. And, I, and I've said, you know, I've made a couple mistakes, but for the most part, when you look at who has represented Promise Keepers, who's on our board, um, 
who's been on our stage. These mm -hmm. are godly men who are humble men who you can say, that guy loves Jesus. Like mm -hmm. I said, I've made a couple mistakes, and those people are no longer in any of our, our videos. So if, <laughs> if you saw someone on our stage and they're not there now, you know who I'm talking about. But, okay. <laughs> um, that's been part of the journey is learning. Right. right. I've had to gain a lot of wisdom. Right. It's dicey, isn't it? Everybody has a good idea for your calling and your organization or whatever you're working on. And that discernment, I think, is increasing and is going to have to increase even at a greater rate moving forward. The world is full of uh, confusing messages in the ministry world and out as well. Yeah, you asked, why did God make me wait? Why did he come to me in yeah. 14? And it's, it's that kind of thing. The mm -hmm. Lord yeah. waits until we're ready, and we say, well, God, why, why won't you bring me my, the spouse that I want? Why mm -hmm. won't you give me the job I want? Mm -hmm. And God, in his graciousness, is saying, I have one goal in life, which is to make you more like me, right. to make you closer to me. When you think things are taking forever, it's because you're not ready, because God's always ready. And so what is it in our life that's holding us back from truly mm -hmm. accomplishing his will? For me... I was not yet savvy enough, ready enough, despite all the stuff in my, my past that right. you would think would have prepared me. I still was not ready enough for the blessing and the curse of being a Christian leader. And they're both there. You, you really, you want to be sold out for Jesus. You don't have a love for money. You don't have a love for fame. That's the first part. The second part is being savvy enough to, to understand there's a lot of people who are not that way, who are... Mm -hmm big in the church and you'd better learn how to recognize who they are that's huge i think that's another book right there <laughs> yeah on, on, to put on your list for sure what happened when promise keepers occurred uh just a few weeks ago a couple was, months ago it was amazing what actually. happened tell us so the press reports that there were thirty thousand people at dallas cowboy stadium and i got a barrage of calls after that from people in the media saying mm -hmm. Do you have any idea how big that was? And I said, well, it didn't feel big because the stadium felt two-thirds empty. Uh, <laughs> but they were like, dude, getting more than 10,000 people together ever is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But getting that many people together in the middle of COVID That's was a big deal. monstrous. I mean, that goes to show you the hunger. Yes. And we didn't have much money to really promote Promise Keeper. So a lot of people are really disappointed. Like, dude, I, I didn't even know you guys were there. I didn't know you were doing something. And it's like, yeah, we... We just never had the money to advertise properly. But even so, the press saying 30,000 people, um, it was a big deal. We had 1,500 people come to Christ. And I'm saying people, and people are saying, well, it's promiscuous. Why aren't you saying men? We had three ushers, female ushers, that were together crying during the altar call. And one of our men went up, and they got saved right there. <laughs> we had three people in the kitchen, the kitchen staff that heard Nick Vujicic speak, oh, wow. get saved. Yeah. Um, we have story after story of guys coming up and getting saved and going back. We One, where a pastor took a bunch of homeless guys up from Houston. I think it was Houston. Mm -hmm. One of the guys was such a, an alcoholic, he had to take his alcohol on the bus with him to get there. Right. He got saved that night, and that night they saw him pouring all of his alcohol out. Mm -hmm. And I talked to that pastor. Or somebody not I didn't talk to that pastor. Somebody else talked to the pastor and told me a week later that they'd been in touch with the guy, and he had not had a drop of alcohol in a week. Thank the Lord. Because yeah. he got saved. It was, the Lord's doing something amazing. Uh, but I think it'll be a, a little slower. I, I think in a couple of years, we'll see a massive transformation. Um, but I do think it's much harder this time than in the 90s 
because of the sexual perversion, because of mm -hmm. the addiction of pornography, because okay. men have become okay. so checked out, so complacent that, and, and, and people don't accept the, the authority of the church now just because it's the church. We've mm -hmm. seen so much evil uh, in the church that I think men are now very skeptical as they should be. And they're checking out promise keepers and going, those guys love the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is a real deal. And so I do think the Lord is doing a great revival, but I also think it'll take a little bit of time. Do you see that revival spreading out through the workplace, the schools, the whole trajectory of society as opposed to the traditional church building? Um, is that what's happening? I, look, I, Promise Keepers is going gonna, is gonna to come through the church. We're going to honor the church. But um, God's sick and tired of waiting for pastors. Pastors won't teach the word of God. They're compromised. And I'm not talking all of them. There are great pastors out there. Of course. But the church, the institutional church, is so compromised. Is so many pastors building their own fiefdoms, their own building. Look at how many people I have. God is going to, like in Malachi chapter 2, he says, I will spread animal waste over your faces because you're not teaching my word. Mm. God is sick and tired of it. This revival is going to come through the marketplace and through the people. We can't wait for the pastors to get on board anymore. We can't wait for them to start talking about the fact that abortion is murder. Right. And if a girl in your church kills her baby mm -hmm. and she didn't know it was murder, it's that blood of that baby, like he mm -hmm. says to Ezekiel, is on your hands. We can't, we, we can't wait for them to start talking about sexual perversion. The, the, this is going to sound like a weird statistic, but you'll know where I'm going in a minute. They've studied erectile dysfunction rates in, obviously in men, mm -hmm. for about 80 years. In 20-somethings, it's been 2% from the beginning of time. I mean, mm -hmm. the beginning of, of the, the survey. Okay. That's a, a medical issue. Right. They did the survey again in 2018. It's 28%. Mm. 28% of men in their 20s have erectile mm. dysfunction because of pornography. Right. Because they've been looking at that perversion from before puberty. What are our pastors doing about it? What are they saying? Nothing. When's the last time you heard a pastor stand up there and say, if your eye causes you... In fact, I had a big spiritual leader tell me one time, Ken, you need to stop preaching that men need to repent of pornography because they have trauma in their lives, they have psychological oh. issues, and this and that. And I said to him, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to lust, cut it out of your head. It's better to go into heaven with one eye than into hell with two. Mm -hmm. What part of that talked about counseling? So I'll, I'll go with Jesus. You go with your little slow plan. Now, it doesn't mean men shouldn't get counseling, but what it means is our, repent, our message is repent because you, mm -hmm. if you are into that garbage, your wife is not feeling cherished by you. Mm -hmm. Your daughter is not being taught that she's a precious human being. Right. Your son is not being taught uh, self-control. So you as a man will be judged by what Christ did for you. Mm -hmm. He forgave all of your sins and said, man... I have a plan for you of good works to do, and I'll judge you on how you did them. And if you are locked down in pornography, you're never going to do anything good for the kingdom of God. You're lying to yourself. You are uh, filled with lust, and you need to repent. That stuff needs to be taught in our churches. Mm -hmm. And if our pastors were teaching that, our churches would be exploding because people knew they are hearing the truth. Instead, they, they show up in church. They hear a watered-down garbage message. Mm -hmm. They watch some guy in skinny jeans and a fog machine dance around. And they sing some, some songs and they leave and they think that's church. That is not church. We are supposed to be a radical organization of people who care for God's people through love. That's what God's calling each one of us to. And that's what Promise Keepers is going to get out there. We'll go through the churches. We'll invite the churches to be a mm -hmm. part of us. And if they're not going to be a part of us, then we'll move them aside and we'll keep going. Right. The gospel cuts 
you know, it cuts through all of the garbage, all of the lies, all of the deception, all of the counterfeit. And the gospel is coming forth in new measure through work such as Promise Keepers, through men and women who are finding out that the passion that they lived with yesterday is not enough passion for what's coming and how we have to live tomorrow and going forward. So the uh, burden on my heart is to help people come through the fires and the trials they've been through. Everybody has a list, and they've been real, and they've been painful. But the Lord is always the fourth man in the fire to bring us through that crisis, whatever it might be, and show us himself in such a way that we can live differently moving forward. And I believe we're at a critical time in the development of, of the world, in the history of the world, in God's timeline, where he is setting things in motion like Promise Keepers, like your role, your books, your message that I'm hearing you talk about today. And I feel like, God, this is for the listener today, for the participant. You, you know, you look at Ken and you listen to Ken and you think, that's that's truth. That's gospel. And this gospel is available to you in your role. God's got a specific lane for you to run in, a specific assignment for you to run in. And I would like for us to talk about that a moment in terms of uh, helping people get off dead center. A lot of people have hunkered down. They're depressed. They're isolated. They're just trying to coast for some back to normal, which will never return. It's not going to be the same anymore. Right? That's for sure. And so what would you say just to the individual watching in any capacity about how to live their life with the full gospel operating in it and us setting the world ablaze for Jesus Christ in our hour in history? Yeah, if you want to know where you stand, read Matthew 5 through 7, mm -hmm. the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And I used to always wonder, remember in 2012, I'm a guy who retired to seek my own comfort and pleasure. You know, and I did a pretty good job of it for like okay. two years. I was, I skied a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and I used to wonder that Jesus, the second thing he says is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I remember thinking, what does that mean and why? I don't, I don't mourn. You know, it's funny that now that I'm really living my entire life for Christ, it's been abandoned to him. I mourn all the time. I'm filled with joy, the joy of Christ, but I look at the world and it breaks my heart. I can't watch TV. I cannot watch TV other than the football because um, it, it, it tears my heart out to see mm -hmm. the evil, to see what we're doing to our kids. Right. Um, so you start to see the progression of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount to see, well, where am I in this? And at the end, what's the last one? Blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you. Great is your reward in heaven. Ah, mm. Ken on the gurney in the hospital. I'm going to see Jesus. How do I know? I see the progression. I mourn. I walk with Christ. Mm. And as I abandon myself, as I pick up my cross daily and die to myself and follow him, as I, as I wake up each morning saying, Jesus, what are we going to do together today? <laughs> the end result will be people will hate me. Jesus said, I promise you the world will hate you. Don't worry. They hated me first. And he says, when the world hates you, great will be your reward in heaven. I had a bunch of gay magazines write a bunch of stuff about me a few months ago. They were complete lies. It said that we were going to gather a bunch of guys at AT&T to bash gay people, which, of course, we were never going to do, and there was nothing to say. I got hate mail you couldn't believe. I got people saying, where does this guy live? We've got to find him. We're going to kill him. Uh, just horrific stuff. My response, thank you. 
Listen to all these people persecuting me, lying about me. Mm-hmm. Great is my reward in heaven. And so you get to the point where life is filled with joy. Every moment I just, I'm so excited about, what are we going to do next, Jesus? What are we going to do next? Right. And also filled with, and I can't wait to go home. Yeah. So Lord, if I'm on the jet and the jet's going down, uh, when I say jet, I mean Southwest Airlines. I don't mean private jet. <laughs> when I'm on Southwest Airlines and my pretzels are flying up in the air because right. we're going down. Right, right, right. I'll have two regrets. I can't do more for Christ, and I won't get to raise my grandkids, period. Not anything else. Mm-hmm. Take me home, Lord. I want to be with you, and but I don't want to be with you until I've accomplished everything you gave right. me to do. So what are we going to do today? Why is sin so devastating for the Christian if it's forgiven? Because sin keeps you from accomplishing the mission. When yes. you are in disobedient, known sin, mm-hmm. you are therefore not able to hear the voice of God. Of God. Mm-hmm. You are not going to have that moment in the closet like I did. And if you say, well, I'm going to clean myself up and I'm going to wait to hear the voice in the closet, it took me years, right? And so his favorite word is wait. But um, sin keeps us from the ability to serve the Lord. It taints how we see the world. Um, I say to men all the time, you know, men's ministry, so most of my stuff comes from the men. What do I need to do to stop lusting? How do I stop lusting? I said, well, the only way to stop lusting is to start seeing women like your equals. The only way to stop lusting is to see that they have dreams, they have parents, Mm -hmm. they are your sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Abandoning yourself to Christ. You're not going to stop lusting by trying not to lust. You're going to stop lusting when you see women through the same eyes that Jesus sees women. How do you do that? Matthew 5 through 7, when you learn to pick up your cross daily and follow him, what am I going to do today, Jesus? You see a, a pretty young gal. You don't see a pretty young gal. You see a soul that needs right. Jesus. So that's what we want to teach at Promise Keepers, not trying to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I started off the whole event by saying, we're not here to give you the five-step program to being a better man. Right. We're here to give you the one-step program. Believe in Christ and repent of your sins. Mm-hmm. That'll make you a better man, and only that will make you a better man. And so for men or women today, we cannot sit there and look at what the institutional church is telling us to be a good Christian, because the institutional church in America has become a safe place where we all want to be safe. What are people going to be saying when Jesus returns? Peace and safety, peace and safety. What are they saying right now? Peace and safety. How can we be peaceful? How can we be safe? It's not about your freedom. It's about your safety. Christianity is a revolution. Yes. It's a revival. It is, what can I do to rescue people from the flames of hell? Right. It's not peace and safety. It's dangerous. And Jesus says, I've called you to be my witnesses Mm -hmm. through all the nations. Witnesses there is the Greek word martis, which means martyr. Mm -hmm. I've called you to live in victory, but to walk beside me. And some of you, by the way, 11 of you 12 disciples will be tortured to death in my name. And you'll rejoice while you did it because you know great is your reward in heaven. We've got to start seeing the life in Christ as a, as a revolution, not a safe haven of church on Sunday and IHOP afterwards. Right, right. We've watered the gospel down to where people haven't had to think through such serious consequences and weight as you've described today. I I love your heart, Ken, and I want to thank you for the journey you've been on and for sharing it with us today, and we are excited to see what comes through God's hand on you. I would like for us to take just a minute to take this one more step. Uh, Let me ask you, do you have a life verse particularly that you 
gravitate to or in the ceiling? John 3, 8, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he said, the wind blows where it will. No one knows where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's led by the Spirit. Right. We just don't know day to day where Jesus is going to take us next. Right. So that's awesome, the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute and no other way we'll walk this walk. And the verse I think of constantly for several decades now is from is partial verse um, out of Daniel eleven thirty two. It's the second half. I, I cut off the parts that were end times in that passage when I took this life verse about forty years ago. But now I'm folding them in as we watch the times that we're in. But it basically says the people who know their God will have strength and take action. Some translations say the people who know their God will do great exploits mm, with God. I love that. I do too. It, it's motivated me for years. But who is going to hear the call? Who is going to do the great exploit? Who's going to, going to get the assignment and execute the assignment? Who's going to have a passion that sees them through the types of trials that you're talking about right now? And it's the one who knows that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, like unto the Son of God that was the fourth man in the flame with Daniel's friends that were cast into the furnace, walking with them. And before they went in, they said, hey, our God will take care of us whether we come out dead or alive. You know, we're not changing our minds. And so I hear that same type of uh, commitment level, and the word commitment feels way too uh, shallow right now, talking about the kinds of things we're talking about, but it's about going all in. And I would love to uh, close this segment out either with a prayer or just some words that you might have to say for the person who says, I want that kind of passion. I want that kind of commitment. I want to be the one ready to go the distance with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're thinking right now, I don't have it. And, and I know the Lord convicts us of sin. And when we're faithful to repent, he forgives us, you know, and he fills up those voids. He remakes us. This is the gospel of the kingdom that is uh, what it takes to move from this place. But there, there are a lot of people that are, ju that are suffering. You know, we talked about start, started talking about suffering. And what would you say to the person who says, I hear it. I know I have sin in my life. I want to go the distance with the Lord. I want that type of commitment. Would you either just speak to them or pray for them? However you feel let led me, to land let, let me pray for them. And in, in, the, in the praying, I think maybe there'll be another Let's message. Let's do it. Father, you you talked, um, Lord Jesus, about the sower and how the seed was sown. And um, I'm one of those people where the people who heard the message of Christ mm -hmm. and they were filled with joy, but mm -hmm. Satan came along and stole the truth. And Lord, for so many people who listen to this right now, they feel like they, they hear these words and they think, I want to be that person. And then they start to think, I can't. Mm -hmm. and let them understand it's the voice of the devil. It's the voice of the enemy of their souls who's been speaking to them since the time they were born. And he's telling them that, well, you sinned, you've done this, so how dare you? Or you're not good enough. Or they're bringing up mm -hmm. voices from the past, their abusive mother or father, or whatever it might be. And God, I pray that for everybody here listening to this, that they would set aside those voices and listen to the gentle, sweet, quiet voice of your spirit. Your favorite word is wait, who said, I will be there for you. I will. I have a plan for you to accomplish. Mm -hmm. If you'll lay aside all the junk, all the past, all the bitterness, all the anger, I pray that, that they would understand right now that the number one thing they need to do to get beyond that voice is to forgive everybody who has wronged them. It doesn't mean they don't seek justice. It doesn't mean they don't ask for justice. But God, the, the key is, 
to uh, setting aside the garbage is forgiveness. The way you forgave us every one of our sins, we also need to forgive everybody who's wronged us. And Lord, sometimes those wrongs were painful and they were horrible. Mm-hmm. But God, um, you, you were so damaged, so hurt by us, each one of us, and you forgave everything we did. So God, I pray, Father, for everyone listening to this now, you would give them the strength, the conviction to forgive those who have wronged them, and then to move forward. As you said, if you have something against your brother, when you come to give things at the altar, don't give anything at the altar. First, get up, go make it right with your brother, and then come back. And so, Father, we can't sacrifice, we can't give until we've forgiven, until we've made peace with the people around us. God, help each one of us to have that kind of grace, to understand the amount of our sins that have been forgiven by you so that we can go and seek peace with everybody in our life. And then, Lord, help us to come back and abandon ourselves to you. Shut up the voice of the, of the Satan in the, in the ears of people and fill it with your gentle, sweet, loving, patient voice, Lord. And I pray, Father, for everybody here that they would be called blessed when they get to heaven, that they would walk into the throne room after they've died. That moment after they've died, they know with great joy that you will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ken, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us yeah, today. Thanks for having me on. Onfire.global is a movement made of men and women who understand that past plans won't work for the future. We're in a new time and a new place that requires us to fan the flames of vision to a whole new level, going all in with God like never before. So fire up your purpose, come find your people, and frame up your plans to set the world ablaze together with me at www.onfire.global.